Good morning, everyone, and happy Father's Day. I want to spend some time this morning in the message sermon time of our worship talking a little bit about what it means to be a godly father, godly grandfather. I was asked sometime back by a fellow I've known for a number of years, he asked me the question, what is the difference between human genius and human stupidity? Well, I didn't have a clue as the answer, so I shrugged and I said, what? He smiled and he said, genius has limitations. I think one of the really important moments in any person's life, it was in my life, is when we come to the realization that deep inside of us we have a great capacity to do good, and inside of us we have a great capacity to really mess up. Now I'm not proud of this, but I am grateful that at a very early age in life I discovered that I personally have a great propensity for saying and doing something truly dopey. I've had to be vigilant to not continually extend the horizons of my own brainlessness. I mean, you know what they say, genius has limitations. If you've ever done premarital counseling with me, you might remember this story from the first or second session. It was a a time in the early years of my marriage with Ellen. We were both in school, both of us working full-time jobs. I would come home late in the afternoon. I would be exhausted from roofing houses, and I would still have several hours of study ahead of me. Now, on this particular night that I'm thinking about, I get home, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, and Ellen has made spaghetti. Ellen makes the best spaghetti I've ever had, and I am ecstatic. We sit down, we say the prayer, we're about to eat, and it's then that I notice the outrage. I notice the outrage. She has put more spaghetti on her plate than she has put on mine. And and I'm thinking, the, the nerve to do something like that. And as I'm about to shed some light on this egregious, appalling breach of common decency, It dawns on me, like an epiphany, it dawns on me that all I have to do is get up from the table, walk over to the stove, put some more spaghetti on my plate, sit down, problem solved. And as I'm I'm thinking about it, I'm I'm thinking, you know, Ellen, I'm about to have a fight with Ellen over spaghetti. Uh, I'm, I'm about to have an argument with, I mean, Ellen has married a winner. I mean, my parents would have been so proud to know that I was going to have an argument with my wife because she put more spaghetti on her plate than mine. But you know what they say, genius has limitations. On a more serious note, as a minister, I have spent a lot of time with people who were profoundly tortured deeply in their soul with where their life had landed. A lot of time, it was regret for mistakes that they had made you know, professionally with their careers, or it might have been a huge mistake that they might have made with money. But a lot of time, it was regret over mistakes made with marriage and mistakes made with family. Now, the stories, the details of all these stories are different, but they always had one thing in common. There was a decision, there was, excuse me, there was never a decision, but a drift into failure. There was never a decision, but a drift into failure. I mean, nobody ever got up that morning and said, you know what, I think I'm going to become the Attila the Hun of marriage. Nobody ever got up and said that they wanted to be a horrible spouse. No one ever woke up that morning and decided that they were going to be a horrible parent. What happened is they drifted. They took their eye off of the ball for an extended period of time, and they drifted into the failure. A writer many of you know, and I've talked about from time to time, John Ortberg, has done some writing and teaching on what he calls a shadow mission. 
The idea of shadow mission actually comes from a psychologist by the name of Carl Jung, who would describe our shadowy side as human beings as those patterns of action and thought that betray our deepest values leading to guilt and regret. Now, Ortberg would, would define a shadow mission this way. A shadow mission consists of the activities towards, toward which I will gravitate if I allow my natural temptations and selfishness to take over. I'll say that again. A shadow mission consists of the activities toward which I will gravitate if I allow my natural temptations and selfishness to take over. Now, here's the thing. Everybody, every human being has a shadow mission. In fact, let me give you an illustration from the teachings of Jesus of a shadow mission. We're in Luke chapter 12. Jesus is really popular. Jesus is pretty popular. There are these tremendous, gigantic crowds that are trampling over each other to get near him and to hear him. And Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 12 about priorities and how priorities need to be thought through because priorities at some point in your life are going to become public. Priorities will always become public. And as Jesus is teaching, it's at this moment, and we pick up in verse 13, that someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you, or between you. Then he said to them, and he's going to say something really important, and he sets it up by saying, Watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, God is speaking now. God says to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now notice at the end of this parable, God does not say to this man, you're evil or you're wicked. What he says in verse 20 is, you're foolish. You're a fool. And here is the list of the priorities of the rich man in Luke chapter 12. Big harvest, big barn, big retirement, and Jesus says, big mistake. Remember the shadow mission. A shadow mission consists of the activities toward which I will gravitate if I allow my natural temptations and selfishness to take over. We drift from the life that is rich toward God to the life that is rich toward us. Now, as I said at the beginning of the message, today is Father's Day, and I want to do a couple of things in the time that I have left. Uh, first, I really want to commend our dads, and I, I want to commend our fathers for the jobs that they are do, doing, raising kids and teaching them about God. But then secondly, I want to remind all of us who are dads, and all of us, for that matter, who are granddads, that we have to be careful of drift from our God mission to our shadow mission. 
we have to be careful that we do not drift from our God mission to our shadow mission. Now, what is the God mission? Well, think of the mission statement of our church. Love God, love people, change the world. So simple, we've all memorized it. Love God, love people, change the world. And if you have forgotten this, that that mission statement actually comes from two chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is teaching and a man asks him, when it comes to all of these commandments that you find all over the Old Testament, what is the greatest? And Jesus says, it's this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But then he continues, a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then Matthew records in, in the last chapter, the last part of Matthew chapter 28, the final words of Jesus to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And he says to them, go and make disciples. Go and make changed people throughout the entire world. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So from the great commandment and the great commission, we have our mission statement, love God, love people, change the world. So as fathers and grandfathers, here's the first thing we do. We teach the next generation to love God. Now loving God is more than just going to church Sunday after Sunday. Going into a church building no more makes you a Christian than going into a chicken coop makes you a chicken. When it comes to love, think about the meaning of the word love. Love is not a surfacey word. Now I know that word doesn't exist. Uh, congratulations, I just invented another one and you were there. Love is not a surfacey word. Love for God becomes more visible in our actions the deeper it goes into our heart. Love for God changes the way that we think, the way that I think, the way my emotional life, my affections, and, and all of our actions. Think about what Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, obey my commands. If you love me, obey my, keep my commands. Jesus is saying that there is a life that is consistent with having love for him. Jesus is saying that there is a life that when you observe it, when you watch it, when you look at it, you know, you just know by observing that it's dedicated to loving him. You see it in how resources are handled and distributed. You see it in the way that people are treated with kindness and gentleness and love. You see it in character change, that this person begins to look more and more like the Christ, which means that the fruit of the Spirit is blossoming in their life. You see it in the way that they handle adversity. There is, there is a, a buoyancy. There is, there is a, 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 a poise that is just profound, and it reflects on the presence of Jesus. You see it when you listen and, and hear the way that they pray and the way that these people pray to God. And this is what changes the way that you go to church. Worship becomes the expression of love for God, an expression of, of love for the God who loves you and changes your life for good for all of eternity. And so the first thing as fathers and grandfathers that we do is we teach the next generation to love God. But we also teach the next generation. We teach our children to love people. Remember that Jesus said loving God and loving people go hand in hand. Dads and granddads, let me give you three simple ways to teach the next generation to love people the way that God loves them. First, 
love your wife. Love your wife. That is the most immediate daily example of love that your children are going to see. People should be able to look at your marriage and get an idea of what the gospel is all about. And then number two, not only do you love your wife, but number two, you love those difficult to love. Love is not easy. Love is never easy, but love is tough. Love hangs in there. Love is, is not what you can get out of people and loving them, or loving them to a certain point and no further. Loving the difficult to love teaches God's grace and forgiveness that these things are real and they abound even when we, even when our children are difficult to love. Think about what Paul writes to the church in Rome, chapter five, verse eight of Romans. He says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we, are, we were still sinners, while we were still not the kind of people that reflect God, while we were still enemies of God and sinful in our hearts, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we lo love your wife, love those difficult to love, and then finally love those different from you. Love those different from you. God loves people of different skin colors, from different cultures and who speak different languages, and he has made all of them in his image. There, that is a truth that must be taught and taught again from the earliest of ages. And then not only do we love God and love people, but we live as disciples, as we live as disciples of Jesus, we change the world by the very nature of our lives being lived in this world. People who love God and love people as disciples of Jesus will always make the world different. Never underestimate the change a gospel-formed, gospel-driven, and gospel-sharing people will bring into the world. Let's pray. Father, we take very seriously this work of being fathers, grandfathers, to children, the next generation of faith, the generation that comes behind us. And we want to model everything that we do as fathers, as earthly human fathers, in the way that you, as our heavenly Father, treats us and loves us and blesses us. We pray, Father, to always keep our eye on the ball, to, to never drift into our shadow mission, but to be reminded on a daily basis by your presence, Father, of the greatness of life in the kingdom and to share that not only with the people around us, but especially with the generation that comes up behind us. And we pray, Father, that you bless us in this way each day. And we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. Happy Father's Day. Love God. Love people. Change the world.